Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I am your host, Justine Carino, licensed mental health counselor. I am here to lean into conversations about relationships, resilience, and recovery from life's challenges in order to support you on your journey to finding clarity in what you want for your future. We will talk about the things that no one else really wants to talk about in order to help you heal from past wounds and create a life that truly fulfills you. Please note, this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. And thank you for choosing to tune in to another episode from Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I have a guest today with an astonishing story of how he changed his own path in his life. He reminds us that we all have the capability of making choices to turn things around for ourselves. Obviously, as a therapist, I believe in change and I think people are capable of change. It just may take a lot of hard lessons to come to the point where we take a look at ourselves and say, I don't want to be the person I am anymore. And that takes a lot of courage and resilience. And my guest today is going to talk about that. So we all have choices about where we want our lives to go. And we need to take accountability for the direction and outcome of our lives. And that is what Jose Lugo has done. Today, I am talking with Jose, founder and lead creative of We Are All One Story, which he's going to tell you more about. You might be familiar with that because last episode, session number 17, I interviewed his brother, Ralph de Quebec, um, who is also part of We Are All One Story. So it might sound a little familiar. And if you want to go listen to that, check out the last episode. So Jose, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm grateful to have this conversation with you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and We Are All One Story? Yeah, well, um, you pretty much uh, gave the intro about myself. Um, can add a little bit to that. I'm born and raised uh, in L.A. Um, I'm just another person going through life like the most of us. Um, and we'll pretty sure we'll get more into my life later on. Um, as far as We Are All One Story, what uh, I currently do now, I travel the U.S., and um, I listen and share people's stories. And the whole intent of that is for people to, you know, shift from victim to owner of their own story, from people to see the value, the inherent value in their person and thus the exact same value in their own story. I think we lose sight of that all too often. We all kind of know that we have inherent value as people, but we we don't translate that into our day-to-day life, into our very own story. And I think that um, once you realize that your story is is you, it's, it's, it's powerful and how you view it determines so much about you. So we just go around and we let people share their stories and um, we just feel that it's positive all the way around and that it's empowering all the way around. I love that. And I like how you mentioned how you view your story is the important part. And I think that's everything. That's perspective and mindset. And that is what really makes people happy in this world is the point of view that they take about themselves, about what they've been through, about their future. So I'm so happy to talk about this with you today. Awesome. Thank you. 
So I was wondering if you could take us back in time and tell our listeners about your decision to join a gang. I think you were 16 years old at the time, and I'm curious what led to that decision. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, being born and raised in L.A., um, you know, it's in the inner city. It's almost status quo. Um, You know, it's environment mixed in with upbringing and by upbringing, I mean, I think these things stem from how we were raised within our household. I think that um, you'd be hard pressed to find um, any gang members who had two parent households. Um, Mm -hmm. And then if you want to extend that, you'd be hard pressed to find gang members who didn't have, who had functional homes. So, you know, it's just part of the the environment, when I made that decision to join a gang, it wasn't um, right then and there. I think my upbringing contributed, you know, so much to that decision. The gang lifestyle seemed normal to me. It wasn't foreign. The violence, um, the loyalty, uh, and um, those were things that I experienced within my own home as a youth. Mm. So, you know, my parents divorced when I was five. And after that divorce, you know, my dad was essentially absentee father and my mom became an extreme disciplinarian. So she was physically abusive and not, you know, not normally physical, like she wasn't normal. And, um, you know, growing up, I couldn't comprehend that. I couldn't comprehend how somebody I loved so much could cause so much pain to myself. So there's, there was a disconnect of how I could rationalize somebody I love, who's my mother, and m- making the violence okay. So yeah. that trans that certainly translated into um, my gang lifestyle. I didn't I didn't think twice about violence because I felt that it was normal. And within that lifestyle, if we're hurting somebody else, your heart, my heart already started to become hardened a long time ago. Now we're just seeing it manifest outside of myself. Um, And uh, it was intense. And when you're in it, when I was in that phase, you know, I had no idea the mechanics that were that were working. I didn't have the insight. I didn't have the perspective. It's almost like I'm helpless just going through it. Like I'm just literally just going day by day. I can't think past the week. I can't think past the month and certainly not past the year. And um, that type of attitude is fed in the in the street life that nothing's promised, that you can die tomorrow, that live it all today. And, you know, it's a setup for failure, extreme failure in the long run. You know, but as a kid, you have no clue that that you're in something that ends up taking a life of its own. And that, you know, in order to get out of it, man, it does take so much and it takes it takes a drastic change. But, um, you know, when I made that decision, it just seemed normal. It seemed right. It seemed uh, I felt like it was love. I felt like I received love within the gang structure. I felt because that's what I had known. I had associated violence with love in in, in its own way. And, um, you know, wow. it seemed it seemed uh, normal. You know, you know, I was mad. You are really, really speaking my language. Have you ever been to therapy? 
Um, I went to what I had the only therapy I ever had. I had a, I, since I got the DUI, <laughs> mm-hmm. I talked to one therapist and, um, yeah, that was it. Um, you sound like you've been through therapy and have figured out so many things cause you're so knowledgeable about how our family system, our parents really influence a lot of our decisions. Like you're right on the ball here and you're exactly right. It sounds like you were influenced by your environment and upbringing. Your relationship with your mom kind of made the gang life okay. And I love what you said about you associated violence with love because that came from that foundation between the mother and son relationship. So a gang for you felt right. It didn't feel abnormal. It didn't feel like it was something that would be hurtful for you. You actually probably felt a big benefit from being a part of that lifestyle. Well, I felt a large benefit. I felt empowered. I mean, I grew up getting beat all the time every other day at home. And when I was able to exert myself in my violence, it felt that it was empowering, that I don't have to get hit, that I could fight back. And, um, you know, those things are, 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 are good, but in the wrong dynamic, in the wrong atmosphere, it's completely negative and you don't know it. Like I have, and that's why it's a trap. It's a trap. It's a snare. Um, and when you're in it, you don't know it. You just feel that it's okay, but it's, it's completely wrong. But yeah, I felt, you know, in the gang, I felt it was normal. I felt like it was a family type atmosphere. Mm -hmm. I felt that my friends were like my brothers. I felt that, um, that they would do anything for me and I would do anything for them. Man, that's 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 captivating as a kid. When somebody tells you that, you know, I'm going to ride with you regardless of anything, you yeah. can't help but feel that that's love. You can't help but feel that that's true friendship. And and that's exactly what it feels like. Because that's wow. all we know to another to another person, like it's preposterous, you know. To right. The, right. You know, it automatically doesn't make sense to them. And um, but when you grow up a certain way, I mean, you know, it's hard to differentiate what's right and what's wrong because you know it's our, the way you see life, or certainly the way I saw life was already skewed by that point. And um, yeah, I just fell into that into that atmosphere, and you know, to the where I was all in, you know, I ended up going to prison when I was 18 and a half. And that was a journey in and of itself. I got a five-year sentence. Out of those five years, I did a little over four years. And, um, wow. you know, it was a, it was a journey in there. And it's, it's just what you see in the streets concentrated. So now you see everyone is together yeah. and, um, and it's, uh, and mind you, in prison, I learned a lot. There's also there's also positive virtues that I took from it. There is a positive virtue and loyalty for the right things. There's positive virtue and and honor for the right things and um and and love for the right things. But those things become perverse when they're used for um, negative outcomes. Definitely, and I'm. I'm just really blown away by your level of insight about the correlation between how your family was, what you were taught, what you were modeled, and then how that played out in your lifestyle choices as a teenager and joining this gang. And I'm guessing you probably felt like your 
friends and family in the gang gave you more respect and loyalty than your own parents did. Oh, when, what I mean, 100%. I think regular kids feel that period that their friends yeah. give them more respect than their parents, of course. But, you know, it was deeper than that. I mean, there was chaos in the streets and there was chaos at home, at least the chaos in the streets. I had a say in how I could react. Yes, you had control over it to an extent. To an extent. And, um, you know, so what would you pick if you were in my shoes? Would you rather be home and be helpless or be in the streets and, you know, have that same violent atmosphere, but be able to react how how you see fit? And that makes so much sense. And I think you said, like, in the street, you could fight back. At home, you couldn't. Exactly. And that was empowering for you. Wow. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, Jose. So you had a five-year prison sentence, ended up being four years. Mm -hmm. What do you think you learned from that entire experience? You were mentioning some things that you took away that were positive. I mean, yeah, I certainly learned a lot about myself. I mean, not too many people get their, um, you know, it's funny, my brother, Ralph, you know, you talked to him before. Um, me and him would talk and he would say, you know, you know, your prison experience, you know, you know, people will always try and tell me that it was unfair. And I, I was in the crime. I know what happened. And that sentence was 100% fair. And, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, people will give you an excuse. And if you take it, you can run with it if you'd like. But, um, you know, people will tell you, you shouldn't have done all that time. And, and, and at the end of the day, what I always respond is, you know, not too many people get to know what they're made of mm. and not too many people get stripped down naked and all they have is truly their values. Yep. And, um, and so I learned a lot about myself. I didn't really have a plan on what I would do when I would get out. I'm still living day by day. It was so hard for me to see past the week, past the month, and I haven't been a I barely became able within these past three years to be like, man, I think I might live till I'm 60. And even then I can still only think to 60, you know, right. <laughs> I was like, you know, man, I, I should start planning for my future, you know, <laughs> and that didn't happen till recently. So in prison, like, I'm just worried about the day to day. There's always the constant level of violence. Um, there's always the constant threat of violence. There's, um, but we find how to work around that. We're humans, we're resilient, we adapt. And, you know, that is a true factor in prison and it's an everyday factor, but you learn how to survive. You learn how to be happy with nothing. You learn how to, um, there's a level of surrender in there. If you're smart, yeah. if you're smart, you learn how to surrender. I have no control when I get to go eat. I have no control when I get to see my family. I have no control when I can use the phone. I have no control on what I, on what clothes I get. And some people would focus on those things in prison and you just hear them complain. Me, uh, the sooner you understand that <laughs> there's nothing you can do to change right. what's happening right now, the more peace you can have in there. So, you know, there, there was also a level of peace in prison. I knew that all I had to do was defend my own person and whatever, you know, there's also gang politics and whatever happened within that. Other than that, you know, I'm just, I'm just doing my time like everybody else. And, right. um, and um, the biggest thing that I took away from prison was um, 
you know, things aren't black and white, that um, good and evil is, is dynamic within each individual. Mm. And, and, and good and evil, like, you can look at someone and, and maybe they are evil, but that doesn't mean they won't do the right thing today. Exactly. And, um, and you know, it's so easy to, to, to generalize and, 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 and really condemn and judge because it's it doesn't require as much as much thought input than it is to see yourself in that other person and you know i had that understanding because i had to i mean i was a you know i was a mexican crip so i was mexican and i ran with the blacks in prison Mm-hmm. So because of that, I stood out and, and there is so such heavy racial dynamics in there and there is a heavy dose of racism. There's Nazi lowriders, there's essays, there's and and we split up based off of our race because that's our most basic level of a identifying someone and then joining with that person to protect, you know, our self-interest. And you know, from the from the outset, I was outside of that realm because I was with another race other than my own. And, you know, I was also forced to think because the the rhetoric in there would be that I'm a traitor to my own race because I'm a crip. And, you know, luckily I, you know, I have my own thought process. And to me, it wasn't ever about race in there. It was just about who my friends were and where my allegiances lied. And I really think that's what it boils down to. It's just, you know, race is the most easiest way to try and lineate that. Yes. But being outside of that, you know, I saw that, you know, man, things are much deeper. Like it's, it's what people believe. It's what, it's what, it's what people decide they want to do. And, and, you know, I wouldn't let anyone take that power from me. You know, I made my decision and I rolled with it. Um, mm-hmm. The other big thing in prison was, you know, I used that time. It took all the years to forgive my mom. Mm. That's where um, you think that process started of forgiveness for her was in prison? Yeah, 100%. You know, um, I, I would always talk to the homies and, and ask them how they you know, how did they get here? And, and I'd always hear their stories. I liked hearing their stories and, and, you know, naturally I would contrast them to my story. Mm. And, um, the stories were the same absentee father, dysfunctional home. Interesting. Um, you saw a pattern. It's a pattern, um, that makes a hundred percent sense. And, you know, within those stories, it's the perspective gained. you know, you know, my mom did, was physically abusive, but if I'm going to harp on, on the negative, I got to also acknowledge all the good. And, you know, at the end of the day, she was there every day. She did her best. She raised six, uh, six kids and she put food on the table and, and she did her best, her very best to protect us and to shelter us from the environment that was right outside of our front doorstep. Um, and uh, when I would hear up, how is how's your relationship with her now? Do you guys have a relationship? Yeah, we have a great relationship now. Really, and we've talked, That's and um, yeah, we've talked, and um, 
you know, some people look for apologies and, and I didn't, I don't look for an apology from my mother. I, I accept her as a, as a person, as a human and with her very own story, living her very own life, going through her very own struggles that are very real, Mm -hmm. you know, the same way I am like, you know, what, you know, if we want to go into her story, there's a reason there's a, you know, people call it the cycle for a reason, a cycle of violence, a cycle of, of whatever. And, you know, my mom, first generation immigrant from Sinaloa, Mexico, and, you know, she was beat every day. There you go. That's you all know? she knew. That's, That's all she, all knew she knew. So to her, it wasn't wrong. The same way to me, it kind of wasn't wrong. But, um, exactly. you know, once you realize it's wrong and you're like, man, this is wrong. Like you have to make the decision. You are responsible at that point. There is, you, you know, there is a level of responsibility, but there's also a story behind it. And, and, Hers was definitely one of abuse. And not only that, my father abused her as well. So, um, you know, and it just trickled down. And when I was in prison, I just saw her as a person. And I focused on all the good, on all the good she did for me. And I stopped blaming her. And I stopped resenting her. And I stopped, I stopped, uh, I opened up my heart to her and, you know, that was powerful for me, but that was, you know, one step, one step moving forward. There's a few more that needed to happen. <laughs> but that seems like it changed things for you. That made things shift. You know, a lot of people in your position could remain bitter and resentful and place a lot of blame. And that leads to a lack of accountability, lack of, of responsibility, like you said, and this cycle you talk about, I always mention it. It's this cycle of dysfunction that's passed down from generation to generation. And we normalize that level of dysfunction because we don't know otherwise. Your mom didn't know another way to parent because that's how she was parented. Right. And then that was familiar to her. And she wound up in a relationship with your father who expressed himself that way as well. And maybe she felt like that was acceptable because that's what she grew up with and was modeled. So you have such amazing insight to how your mom had her own story, which influenced how she parented you. Yeah. It really is a pattern and a cycle and you're on the money talking about all of this. It's really, it's really impressive. And so I'm guessing your forgiveness of her and positive relationship with her shifted your narrative about who you want to be and where you want your future to go? I mean, it certainly did, but not right at that moment. I mean, it, it, it was, it was, it was the first step internally that I needed to take. Um, and man, it was, it's a process and it's a lifelong process, but that was one domino that certainly needed a fall for me. And, um, you know, my relationship with her didn't start getting better until three years ago, until, you know, when I made, when I finally took responsibility for my actions, you know, after forgiving my mom, you know, I still had extreme resentment for my dad. Cause I was like, well, my mom was here, you know, dad, you weren't, I'm still mad at you and I'm still going to blame you. So there's that. And, um, and, you know, I hadn't really ever known my dad on a personal level. And, and, you know, 
I wish I could tell you when I got out of prison, I had this plan to be a better person and everything changed and I really learned my lesson. And no, that didn't happen at all. Um, what happened is my pride got bigger, my ego got bigger. I had built a persona even more so that was more reputable in the streets. So I had something even better to hide behind. I had a, I had something better to protect um, the little boy inside who was still hurt trying to figure out you know, why was I beat or why was dad gone? Just the simple, most basic questions. And, and I thought being a man was, you know, hiding behind a facade, right. a persona of what somebody else tells me I should be. And, and man, you know, I was in that trap all the way. I was in prison. I came out more prideful. Um, my ego was fed even more. Like I said, you know, people don't get not too many people get to know what they're made of. And then once you get to know what you're made of, you know, that, that, that depends how you take that information in. And I took it in in a negative way. And, and um, you know, I did make that step to forgive my mom, but now I'm in a different realm within the streets. And, and um, you know, I was that's always kind of... Jose. Like, I guess I assumed when you got out, that's where the bigger changes began. But no... Your ego is fed, especially in your street environment. Um, and it probably gave you more credibility and respect amongst your peers at the time. Yeah, more more access, more respect. Um, you know, it's also in the streets. It's also, you know, attrition at its best. So, you know, just being around, you, you're, you're held to a higher esteem. So with, within the dynamics of the street, yeah, like I was, I was somebody. When yeah. in society, I'm just somebody else. And, right. you know, that's the transition that's hard for, for many people. And it was certainly hard for me as well. And, you know, you build up this perception, this, this persona, this reputation, but in the real world, it doesn't mean anything. You know, you mm -hmm. can't put that on your job application. You can't, you know, you can't. And, um, and that's It'll part of being- in certain contexts. Yeah. And, and, um, but that's all part of the allure also of being a criminal. Like you reap what you sow. This is what you, you know, this is what you signed up for. So you roll with the punches as much as you can, but eventually something has to give. Right. Something right. has to give eventually. And, um, you know, I wasn't aware of that in it, but you know, that push and pull eventually came for me in my life and I'm happy it did. Because I was totally, even though I was free, I was still enslaved by a thought process. I was mm -hmm. still enslaved by my own perception and my own views of not just the world, but the people in the world. And, and you know, that's a hard place. That's a hard prison to get out of. And it damn near takes a miracle. I, I can't imagine. And I'm also curious, it sounds like while you were in prison, you were probably constantly in this fight or flight mode, like on edge, hypervigilant. And then you were also probably living that way before you got into prison, you know, being a part of the gang. And then you were like that at home too, like constantly on edge, this fight or flight mechanism triggered in you. Did that impact your mental health at all? You know, do you feel like there was high anxiety or depression or any kind of PTSD or trauma, you know, coming out of well, those years? Well, when you're dealing with it since a youth, it's normal. Like um, you figure out ways to 
you, like uh, you don't know, I don't have anything to contrast it to. Right. You know, Nothing I don't know. what I, I didn't know what it feels like. I didn't know what it felt like to not have anxiety or to not <laughs> be in fight or flight. So, you know, there's a, there's a normalcy to it. And, 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 you know, I didn't find that out. Like I didn't have anxiety attacks or, 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 um, or anything like that until I moved to Denver when I was actually removed completely from mm. a gang environment, an illegal environment. And it was literally kind of peace around me and I had no clue how to deal with it. Like that's, that's when everything, yeah. So that's when things started to hit the fan for me is, is, you know, I forgave my mom. I went back to the streets, still doing street stuff. Um, eventually I had to move. This is, I got to know my dad because, uh, he always kept his door open for me and he, um, you know, I was getting my hair cut. I was walking out. There's a guy I knew who had a gun pointed at. You know, he's about 100 yards away. I see the barrel of the gun. He lets off like six rounds. My friend gets shot in the face, but it just wow. skims him. But he's spe- uh, bleeding all over. And, you know, in that moment, I was like, hey, man, if I'm going to get off of parole, I have to leave. Because this is not uh, once in a like a unique occurrence. It's more consistent. And you know, I took my dad on his offer. Long story short, I got to know him in Texas and I ended up forgiving him and I ended up seeing him as a person. Wow. And I ended up, and you know, that was the other step. And yeah. so I ended up moving to Denver, uh, me and Ralph. And man, it was, it was, um, I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with normal life with the level of peace that was here. Um, Cause it was so new to you. Ex- you didn't know I how to did. function. Exactly. I, I didn't the full integration into society um, because even in Texas, I was still involved um, doing illegal things. It's like, you can't, it's such a part of yourself. You find ways wherever you go. It's like you attract it again because. It's like your identity. It's like yeah, part exactly. Of Exactly. And, um, that identity protected all my, you know, my pain and my hurt and and all those things. It was just a big tower that eventually had to crumble. And, um, that's exactly what happened in Denver. And, um, I came out here for your DUI or after this is, it's all happening. It's like it all, it's all happening at once. Got it. And, uh, I came here and, you know, I saw like people like I, I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of it. I couldn't um, like integrate them. Like my identity was my, I, I didn't have anyone to validate my identity. I didn't have the homies. Right. I didn't have my friends. And it was like, man, I just, you have to be yourself. And it's like my whole life I was being somebody else you know I was being somebody I had to be to protect my true self because I never felt safe being myself um and um you know the way I dealt with that was I drank you know Mm. um I was gonna ask so how did you cope with that level of discomfort and yeah I I drank heavily and You know, and it, that was a downward swirl. I mean, my, you know, 
like the whole anxiety, like I didn't even know that's what it was, but like I, like I would have the physio, the physical connection to it. Like I'd want to pull my hair out. Like I feel the tingling all over my body at its worst. I feel like my heart ripping out of my chest and, and, and completely irrational thoughts. And, and, and it was a lot, you know, and, and. Sounds like you were like having panic attacks or close to it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and, and um, except, so it's, it's like, it's like before I was in a natural state because I needed to be that way. Now, now, since I don't have that threat of violence, I was able to ident like something's wrong, you know, like this right. isn't, you know, like what, it, what am I freaking out for before it was just kind of like, if I'm feeling that, you know, I find a way to like, there's something going on while I'm feeling that way. That's, also outside of myself but now there's nothing going on outside of myself that you know justifies why I'm like thinking that something horrible is going to happen and um so that started happening in Denver and um I drank to the point you know where it was to stop like I couldn't control my thoughts you know I had I had built a whole rationale system justifying an entire way of life that was wrong. Right. And now what I'm seeing is the opposite of that. And it's so hard to marry those, to marry those two because you can't marry them. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was, man, something I had never experienced before. I've always been a fighter and I've always known that about myself, but you know, the fight in your own mind and your own heart, is not anything you can fight with brute force. It's not anything you can fight with your pride or ego. And, and while I'm in it, like, man, I'm just figuring it out as I go, but I feel like every day is a fight for my very own life. And I'm struggling to make it through each day. You know, I ended up getting fired from one job. I got a DUI. Um, my girlfriend left me. So not only am I crumbling inside, my outer world is crumbling as well. Wow. And, and what you're talking about is really this huge identity loss, which, you know, when you went to Denver, it sounds like you made choices different than choices you've made in your past, probably more beneficial choices for yourself. Be, the peace was uncomfortable. You didn't know how to deal with it. You didn't know how to tolerate it. You coped with your anxiety by drinking. Um, and even though you were making some changes about your identity that were benefiting you, you didn't know how to deal with it or rebuild yourself in the way that worked. And identity loss is huge. And people don't really talk about that shift. Like when we, tr when we try to make a choice to change our lives, you have to give up a lot of your past. And that can be scary for people, even if our past was difficult or challenging it's still scary to give it up because it's all we know yeah it's terrifying yeah. yeah yeah so then here you are you're in denver you lost a job you lost your girlfriend you got a dui what came next like because you could have completely spiraled at that point i mean i was spiraling i was yeah. and and to the point where um, I just decided that I was going to take my own life. Wow. You know, it was intense. I mean, the, you're right. It's exactly what it was. It was, you know, my, I, it's an identity shift. You know, my whole life I had, 
as a as soon as I could, I started building a persona that was just made to protect the little kid inside. And I I just was scared and I was terrified and the identity like who am I without my gang? Who am I without my reputation? Who am I? Do people care? Does anybody care? Does my life matter? Does my story matter? And my answer to that and that depression, which is what it was, was that no, it doesn't matter. Just end your life and you you'll stop feeling like this. Wow. I'm telling you know, and um man, it was it was it was so intense and and I didn't know what to do, to be honest. Like I didn't know what to do. I didn't talk to anybody about it. And my so solution no that depressed. No. Because wow. no one had ever told me that it's okay to talk about your feelings. No one had ever told, no one had ever told me that, you know, your life, just talk about your feelings. It might save your life. It's okay. And, and, and that's one of the things we tell people like, Hey, life's too short. Who cares? You talk, whatever you're feeling, go and talk about it. Right. Because if you hold it in, I mean, sometimes we come up with the most horrible solutions. So, (laughs) um, you know, let it out, let it out, let it out, go talk to somebody. And if you don't want to talk to somebody, write it down. Yep. R- write it Do down through a positive lens. You get it out of you. And I had no clue that, man, I had held so much pain and so much hurt inside. And I used to be able to exert that in different ways. And now I had no way to exert that hurt, that pain. I had, I had, I had no distraction, whether it was in a relationship or even in a job or even in drinking, because the DUI made me to stop drinking so now I had to sit with myself sober Ooh, and that's brutal and it's brutal yeah I couldn't I couldn't stand my own reflection I looked in the mirror and I started thinking about all the things I was a part of and you know I had done evil things and and I was like man this must be my punishment wow the way I'm feeling this must be my punishment I thought I got away and you know hey no you didn't get away and, you know, that's the thought process I'm going through. And, and, and it was um, like, I was done. Yeah. I gave up, you know, all I had was my identity. I didn't know how to transition out of that. And I was like, you know what, if this is life, I can't do it. Wow. Like, you know, and um, so. You were really ready to give up. Well, yeah, I did give up. Yeah. I did give up. And, um you know, to the point where, um, you know, I had a, I had a, I had a spiritual moment and, um, it certainly would save my life and gave me hope. And, you know, I was on the cusp of taking my own life and I was in tears and, you know, I get emotional thinking about it. I don't want to forget how it feels. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in tears weeping and, Mm -hmm. you know, I had already been weeping for, for weeks, for a long time. Yeah. And I was just, didn't know what to do. And, and the thoughts of suicide, just, you know, like, man, I'm just get it over with. And something in my heart said that there was one last place that I could go to. Really? Yeah. And, you know, that place was a God. Wow. And, and that's um, what saved you, it sounds like. I mean, I cried out, I 
cried out to God and, and, you know, I didn't hear anything, but man, I felt something. And, you know, that feeling was like, Hey, you know, don't worry about all the things you did before. All that matters is what you do now. That's powerful. That's really powerful. So and that so was a big turning point. That was the turning point. The turning point. That was the rock bottom that then led you to really shift everything. Yeah. Yeah. I had this, that was the rock bottom, but um, in that rock bottom, you know, my pride broke and my ego broke and I let it go because mm. it had to, you know, someone who was as proud as me. And then, you know, you know, we, I said that something has to give at some point and man, that's what gave. And uh, you know, the pride, Hey, I'm not, I don't even like using the word proud because I know where that took me to. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And instead of proud, I just use grateful. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's just for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, my pride broke, my ego broke, and that right then and there it was done. And, you know, my life began to change after that. Wow. Wow. So after that moment in time, what kind of changes did you make or decisions did you make to get where you are now? Did anything have to change? Oh, yeah. Everything way? changed. Everything changed. Um you know, I had a series of, of, of real, of realizations that were life and death. You don't just stop thinking about killing yourself. Like it wasn't after that, like, oh yeah, man, boom. I stopped having suicidal thoughts and I stopped having anxiety. It was after that, Hey, there's hope. There is a better way. Right. You know? And, um, I had that realization. The first realization was that the whole the whole way that I was living life was completely wrong. Mm. That the whole way that I had rationalized what's okay and what's wrong was completely wrong. Mm. And, that, um, and that if I were to live my life, that I would have to live my life towards the good right. and, not, and not having to rationalize doing wrong things. If something's wrong, it's wrong. Right. Um, that was one of the huge realizations. The second realization was like, hey, um, you know, it's a process that, you know, that I'm an active, uh, active partner in and that I have to do the things that I got to do to to get better. And one of the things that I did was, um, you know, I wrote every day and that hasn't stopped. It's been years. I have journals. I have books. That's amazing. I have books and um, I wrote every day. And, and after I felt that I had that hope, you know, to be honest, what I did is um, I felt of all things that needed help, you know, my mental health, but my spiritual health was completely down the drain, mm -hmm. especially because of the life I had lived. Um, I read Psalms every day and I transcribed each, each chapter every day. There's 150 Psalms. So for 150 nights, I wrote and I cried Wow! and, and, and I identified with what the author of that book was trying to say. And, and it spoke to my heart, certainly, um, you know, after that, I went back into my own story. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we all look for answers naturally. And I've always known that there's reasons why I am the way that I am. 
Yeah. But instead of using it as an excuse to use it as something positive to help propel me. Um, and I went back into my story and I wrote a memoir that we're going to publish, um, you know, hopefully by the end of next month, but I started working on that. And, and, That's um, so exciting. do you have a title for it? It's called love, faith and violence, a true song and story. Amazing. Where will people be and, able um, to on our website, we'll be, we'll just be selling it on our website at weareallonestory.net. That's amazing. So you turned and, your story into something that other people can learn and grow from themselves. And you're sharing that with the world. That's, that's empowering. Yeah. And the most, the most empowering part is, you know, when I sat down to write my own story, um, there's two ways I could have written it. I could have written it you know, through a negative lens and you can make it to be a horror story. You can make it to be a comedy or you can decide to write about it through the lens of love and hope. And that's every time I sat down to write, I went in there with the intention to see my story as real as I could, but through Mm -hmm. the lens of love and hope and something that something positive will come out because, um, you know, how you write, how you decide, like, like we said, how you decide to view your own story will mm-hmm. dictate so much about you. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the reasons I think I got into this field in the first place was my curiosity in people's stories. I knew I was always curious of like, why do people make the decisions that they make? Why do they act the way that they do? And I've learned, you know, I remember being a teenager thinking of this. Everyone has a story behind their decisions. Everyone has a past that has brought them to these moments. Um, And what seems to have really shifted in you is looking at your own story, the highs and the lows, how that led you to some of your choices and how this story is now leading you to a turnaround, to a comeback in a positive way. And I think so many people can benefit from this. You know, people really make up excuses for themselves and they blame other people and they don't want to take accountability and they like to really play into that victim role. And what you're saying is you've stepped out of that role. You've taken a look at your past. Forgiveness is huge. I mean, you've mentioned two big times in your life where you've forgiven each parent and how that in itself can be its own podcast on forgiveness and how that can be freeing so it's really such a turnaround that I'm so amazed by yeah I mean you know something had to give and something gave so you know man it's a process but I think that um the sooner people are aware of what's happening the sooner they can start making good decisions for themselves because if you don't know what's happening within your own life and you're just in it like as like I was, you have no clue. You have no awareness at all. And um, at that point, it's easy to give into the victim mode because it kind of feels good. Hey, let me blame somebody yeah. else for my problems. You know, it feels so good. <laughs> it does. So, um, you know, it's just a process and it's not an overnight process, but it's, you know, number one, it's a commitment. You have to make a commitment and 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 just dedicate yourself to to really doing better for yourself. And once you do better for yourself, you do better for everyone around you. 
so true. That's so true. So I'm curious, Jose, before we, we had to wrap up our conversation, what kind of advice or tips do you have for someone whose life maybe has been turned upside down or they've made a lot of choices they're not happy with and they feel like, I'll never change, I'll always be this way. How do they rebuild themselves? It's a big question. <laughs> There's probably a lot of different ways to answer that. How do you rebuild yourself? I mean, to rebuild yourself, you gotta um, let go of what you once were. Mm. You know, it, um, you know, and that's if you had a life like me. If 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 you see your life and you're like, man, this hasn't been working at all, then just let it go. Um, yeah. You know, if we're talking about the person who's really on that far end of the spectrum, like I was, you know, let go, let go of what you're yeah. holding on to. Talk to somebody. You're not alone. There's millions of other people going through the exact same thing. It just looks different, but it's the same in essence. You know, just let go and 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 start being yourself. You know, start writing, start talking. Life's too short to hold everything in. That's what other people are here for. You weren't meant to go through this alone. Yeah, and it's like to what you're saying is to become who you want to be you have to let go of who you used to be. Especially that, if it's not serving you. Exactly. Exactly. That's powerful. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that. And a lot of that can scare the crap out of people, you know? Yeah. Like, it is scary. <laughs> it's terrifying. I think you said no one wants to let go of what to their what they're familiar with or who they used to be, even if they're not happy with who they used to be. That's so scary. I know. And it sounds like it's been a process. It does. It didn't happen overnight for you. It took time, but you stayed committed to the process and that's where the outcome is that commitment. Yeah. 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 Well, Jose, this is really truly an amazing story. And I think it reflects on the fact that our environment influences us, our family, our upbringing really influences us. So what we think is normal isn't always what's right. And we, sometimes we have to take a look at that, but there's always reasons behind our choices. Um, and this story is truly incredible. And I can't wait for people to listen to it. How can people find you after they listen to this conversation? Yeah, you can find us um, on our website where you just get more more of a gist of what the message is at weareallonestory.net. You can follow us on Instagram at weareallonestory, or you could subscribe to our YouTube channel at uh, weareallonestory. That's amazing. I'm going to share all of that in my show notes for this episode on my website and my social media platforms. So I can't thank you enough. I am really grateful for your courage and bravery in sharing this story with me and with our listeners. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode. Please consider subscribing so you can stay updated when new episodes are released. And don't forget to check out the podcast show notes to find any resources that were mentioned in today's conversation. 
Thank you for listening and enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.